Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, friends, welcome back to the podcast. So excited for you to meet our guest today. So in 2014, there were three Atlanta-based co-founders on a quest to help make B2B marketers' jobs easier and their revenue numbers higher. Six years later now, they've got the most powerful account-based platform on the market, offices on both the U.S. coasts, and thousands of customers who are using account-based marketing to drive incredible growth for their organization. We cannot wait for you to hear this interview today. Guys, please welcome Sangram. Sangram, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Can you send me a copy of that? That's actually fantastic. I can send it to my PR team and like, but that's yes. a rocket fuel. Listen, yes. we, got, we got some studs who go do their research and write some great uh, truthful, yeah. truthful things about you guys. Yeah, thank you, Trevor. Yeah. Yep, give it thank to you, him. Trevor. Uh, <laughs> so I'll pass it along to him. Uh, no, but we, we, we have hand selected who we're interviewing on this podcast and at first, it was a criteria of like they need to be fast-growing company, preferably on the Inc. 5000 list, which in some ways is an arbitrary uh, list. In other ways, it's an incredibly uh, huge honor that reflects you're doing things right. Yeah. And, uh, but beyond that, it's other things like the company culture you've created and the, the innovation that you're using and those kinds of things. And you guys were top of our list, especially being an Atlanta-based company. Um, so I'd love just to hear, let's go back to 2014 to start there. Yeah. The three of you guys, uh, how did it come together? What was the, maybe the impulse that said, hey, I think we could do this ourselves or drive some kind of innovation in this space, just wherever you'd like to start? Yep. Happy to. Happy to. So uh, in full credit, and this is one thing that I didn't do as much before that I would ask every founder to think about every time. Give full credit to the people who did what they did in order for you to be where you are. So in full transparency, my other two co-founders are the one who started Terminus about six months prior to me and and I would always skim over that part because I was like oh fine six months big deal right and, and then I joined but no, no no that was the reason I joined because I love wow. people and what they did and I remember I saw them pitch and they had like an agency model I'm not an agency guy I'm a product guy I saw them pitch about something related to advertising and I'm like and at that time I was running marketing at Pardot at Salesforce um, so I was like that thing that you just talked about is actually a product. And mm. if you build that, it solves my problem. And they're like, well, yeah, let's see. And none of them were in marketers. They were all Georgia Tech grads. Like they're like super smart tech folks. And and then I just met for coffee the next day and they said, okay, why don't you come join us? And I'm like, I thought it was going to be an advisor role. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I mean, <laughs> of course, you know, you got like a little bit of like, you know, that, that, that vibe going on. And they're like, no, no. Come join us. If you really, truly believe in this one, come join us. And it took a lot of, like, I just had a second, we had a second kid, right? Like, our wow. daughter was born, like, three months prior, three weeks prior, not month, three weeks. Wow. And this is me talking to my wife saying, hey, look, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit Salesforce. <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, I just met these two people. They're incredible, like two days ago, and I spent a day with them, and I feel like this is it. 
um, you don't go, you don't have a job, so you need to get a job so <laughs> we can feed our family. You can see the odds of like, you know, it's just yes. uh, but that's what you go through, right? Like I think there's never a better time. There's never a better time. Too many founders spend time thinking about, well, is this a better time? Is pandemic a better time? No. Oh, there's never a better time than now if you want to start mm. something. Yeah. And I remember at that time, we, we kind of like felt this. We, we felt it like if we didn't do it right now, all in, then we are going to miss on the biggest opportunity to know what we are made about. Yeah. Wow. What did, what you, what did you see? I'm so curious. Like, what did you see? One, I want to hear that product thing because they were an agency and a product. I love, I'm like, okay, what did you see that made it a product? That's one whole thing. But even what did you see in them? Yes. It said, I think, I think this is worth leaving everything, taking a risk. I mean, Parda already had this great reputation. Then Salesforce, which they're like monster, you know, incredible reputation. Your personal reputation is probably skyrocketing at the time. What did you see? Like, what was the, break it down a little bit. That's a great question, Jordan. That's a great question. I think so Eric and Eric, both of their names are Eric. So it's kind of fun uh, to do that. That's the first thing you saw, two Eric's. (laughs) You guys are easy. And I think what was interesting is that our, everyone had a completely different skill set. So that's what attracted to me was Eric, uh, the person who started the company, Eric Spett, he was all operations. He was the best operator. He was into financials. He looked and like he was breathing the numbers and understood all the mechanics. He loved that stuff. Eric Vass, he's like, keep me out of all the board or any other conversations. Like, tell me what to build. I'll go build like tomorrow. Like he was a, he's a wow. builder. He doesn't want reports. He direct reports. He doesn't care about glory. He just want to build amazing stuff. Wow. And there, and, and I come in there as a marketer sales guy. I'm like, great. You know, that, that just made all of us. And it took again a while to appreciate that, but it, 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 it the trust that created between all three of us or yeah. period of time, like, because we all just did completely different things. So we had to trust each other implicitly. Yeah. It just wouldn't work otherwise. And I think that's what I would ask every, like everyone who's looking for co-founders and stuff. My number one thing is like, what well, do you guys have trust? Like mm. go to bats and I'll be candid. We didn't do that. Like, yeah. I'll like talk about like being real about it. Like I think I went behind my, my other founders back. Uh, once and it was sad it was sick and it like killed me and it killed our relationship and 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 then later on we rebuilt it but man all those things happen because you don't really build the trust first and I wish we would have done that a lot more sooner and, and understood but as the years passed we realized we just stumbled upon the fact that all three of us have completely different skill set and so good like we all three are so good at what we do we need to like really trust each other. And the way the day that happened, it was like, like it was like we just turned the corner. Like it was wow. faster. Was so it like I, you just to, oh, you go, so ahead. Sorry. go ahead, Drew. <laughs> this is the first time we've done on all the interviews. <laughs> yeah, whoops, whoops. Well, I was going to say, was it like uh, almost taking the handcuffs off of each other? Was yeah. that trust allowing that person just full speed ahead and what their brilliance is? What was happening was, I think we just started to move. Just to give context for numbers, we, we hit a million in revenue in the first year, uh, five million the next year, and close to 15 in third year. So the numbers, the reason I shared those numbers is because as soon as the first million is the hardest, as a lot of people would say, and we can go and talk about that if you want, yeah. but, but it, it, you know, from million to five, 
that was ridiculous for us to see as a small company. And then five to 15, that included an acquisition of a company, that was even more ridiculous. There is no way you can grow that way if you don't have trust. Yeah. So you're, you're building this like muscle every day, but, but it took like almost, I would say, first entire year because we, never, we didn't know each other, all yeah. three of us. I mean, talk about the worst possible like things to do. Based <laughs> in Atlanta, didn't know each other, probably 10 years of difference between each one of us, um, completely different skill sets, and try to build a category. Like talk about like crazy things, but God helped us and, and yeah. we came through so, uh, even what I'm hearing too is that trust acted like the key that allowed you guys to appreciate the differences and let go of the egos. That, you, that's what I heard. I, I have this uh, this saying that you know you, you know, there's a big difference between letting go of things and giving up. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, I always thought I was giving up something. I was giving up uh, control of financials. I was giving up control of the product. I was giving up. And, and that kind of kills you. That, that mm. almost makes you feel like a loser. And, and you know, all, we're all type A. Like, we're all wanted to over-execute uh, and all that kind of stuff. You just don't want to give up on anything. Yeah. But the mindset that I learned over a period of time is letting go. Yeah. Which is empowering, which allows, allowed me to think, like, I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm actually letting go of this thing so I can actually do the best work of my life. Because oh. this matters. So yeah. that part was like really, again, it's like therapy session for me, like to talk through this because it took years for me to get through that. What makes it, man, I was literally just sitting on a call uh, this morning on a bunch of people. It was a, a team and they all said, you know, delegation was their most difficult thing. And so I'm thinking about like, this is very present for, for me, but like, why doesn't the founder let go? Like what, what causes them to keep the control or to trust to even open their hand? Like what's the, what's going on internally? That calls them. I think there's a whole bunch of things. Probably the two biggest thing is ego and fear. Yeah. Uh, and those are all very real things. I mean, I have a whole bulkload of that. Like you know, carrying yeah. around every day, right? Around ego and fear, and every day I have to kill myself to re, re get like just reborn with that stuff because the ego is when you start something, it starts working. You feel like you're the reason you that thing is working, and the reality is it is, but it needs to stop. You, you need to stop being the reason it works. Mm-hmm. It will, you will never scale it. If, you, if I still am on the sales call, number one, the way because I'm such a glorified salesperson because I built this and had that thing in me, then I will never get great salespeople who would close the deals and stuff. So the number one thing is like, well, let go of ego, not because it's a good idea and it's like a, a, a karmic thing. No, let go of ego so you can actually scale your business. Take yourself out of the process. Every process you're in, take yourself as fast as you can. And it's hard. It's hard to do that because it works when you do it. And the fear part is, is, is I think it's like, it, to me, it was like, I just have my wife at, at home. Like, you have two kids. And I'm thinking through that, man, I have to make this work. If I don't, it's like, like I just left Salesforce. I just left all these things. If I don't, like I, I'm like, I made the most stupidest mistake in the world. And, and it, it's like those two things are hard, very hard to fight through. Yeah, that's good. I want to put a pin in this because this is a perfect on-ramp, but I can't overlook what you just brought up. So 
the pin I want to put in this to remind me to come back to is this is such a thread that now makes sense to me why you guys have such a value for empowering your people, which that's the very next thing I want to get to is that idea of handing them the keys to the Ferrari, which is beautiful. Uh, But before that, just on the human side, man, I have three young kids. Jordan has a young kid. We started our own business in that stage. I know how scary that feels. I know the risk that you are taking the standing on the end of the branch, hoping the branch doesn't break. What was that like for you just on the human side? Like, was it, do you handle that really well? Was there times that it was exciting and awesome and other times that you guys are having tough conversations at night? Like what, what was that like? We were on the brink of divorce. Wow. Keeping it real. Like we were on the brink of divorce because it didn't make any sense. Like I completely changed as a person. Mm. Um, because the thing, the business was going so well in the early days as, as you know, going well and not going well. Now you look at, oh, one to five to 15, like things. No, every day was like yes. a year in, in a day. And then every year is like a day. It, it's, it's that weird combination that comes when you do stuff like wow. that. And it's, it's like, no, we were on a brink of divorce. Mm. I mean, it was so bad. And because uh, I, 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 I was a completely changed person. Um, because what does that of, mean? Yeah, what does that mean? I was a completely changed person. Like, in what way? I mean, I'll, I'll get angry real quick. I will get frustrated real quick. I'll bring the work frustration at home and home mm. uh, frustration at work. Like all these things, internal stuff going on. The founder relationship, the investor, like not trying to bring in money, while actually seeing, oh, we're ding, ding, ding. We're growing, 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 and then the ego part of that coming in. Yeah. Um, all that and then wow. I mean, like quite honestly I don't know how much you guys are okay with this but we came yeah. to faith like we started believing yeah. Jesus because we came to faith wow. because we just didn't know what we were doing anymore like our identity my identity was so wrapped up in my company that mm. I felt like this has to work otherwise I'm nothing as I said and then finally we actually came to faith that led us to realize that this is not my identity Wow. My identity is, is in God, is in Jesus. That allowed us to rebuild our relationship and that allowed us to let go of a lot of the things that, that like right now, like the reason I have chief evangelist title is because I, I let go of marketing, sales, customer success, every single functional role and hired a CMO, hired a CRO. And I know so many founders are still doing it yeah, and wow. trying to do it. I'm like, no, I, like, it, this is not what defines me. Like this is my identity somewhere else. So it, 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 it's separate as we build our relationship and rebuild me as a person, like reborn wow. as a person. Man, wow. That, so I mean, it may even just be like a, a point to make, but what I just heard, I, I was going to ask a question around, you know, did the success of the company precede your transformation? And the answer sounds like, no, actually yeah. you began to transform and the company trans began to transform with you. Yeah. So you had a successful idea, I'm sure, that, that was going to go places, but it is interesting that allowed you to go with it is you experience your own transformation. The, the way I think about this is like, like, like God ways are higher than our ways, always. So God used this to fix me, to, 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 to actually say, you know what, I have all these problems, but it all become open and clear, like yeah. up and like flashing in front of me because I was living it every day, like than anything else. It was more clear to me then that what all the things that I've gone wrong with myself than ever um, mm. in here. So, so to me, that's really what happened. Man, that is, um, that is legit. Oh, uh, 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 yeah, so I'd love to hear just for you, it sounds like on the personal side and the faith side, 
there was a lot of what you mentioned even at the beginning, and now it makes more sense, that untethering of identity and, and making things personal and value wrapped up around ownership and yeah. position and power. Um, is that part of the aha that it actually practically works well in business as well? So philosophically and morally, yeah. it's great, but practically it works well too. So here, so here's the end. So I'll, I love starting from the end because I think people, people seeing that, I think it might make a little bit more sense. Yeah. Four years ago, I was sitting doing every single sales call. I actually used to sleep within the sales call. I was so good at that, that I would know what the other person is going to say for how long that I could sleep on the couch during the call to take my nap time of literally two minutes. And we have pictures of that to prove from my founders. Like no. I wake up and we'll say exactly what I needed to say. And then I'd go back to sleep for two minute nap. Like I was, I mean, I'll be just honest. Like that time I was so good at the pitch of what we were trying to do because no, you can do it in your sleep. literally and and everything is going so fast so you're just doing things whatever is needed to get done at that time but to me all of that all of that came to a head where it's like what is it going to take to stop this Mm. madness what is it going to take for us to grow as a company and grow as adults like grow this thing is it gonna grow or is it just going to be about me 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 and that took a lot of a lot of transformation through in and out. And so right now that led me starting with the end in mind is if we didn't do that, I don't think I would have written two books on marketing. I don't think I would have built like this whole flip my funnel community that is over a hundred thousand people. Now that I could, I wouldn't have done a daily flip my funnel podcast. I would have done like, there's so many things I did as a result of it because I was okay with not taking any credit. And the funny thing happens is when you stop doing that, it all starts coming back to you. So when wow. we did the conference, let's just take that as an example. We invited for the first Flip Mafia conference, not just the people that people would normally invite your customers or future customers. We invited our competitors to come speak at our edit because we wanted to make sure that we are creating an industry conference, not a customer conference. Wow. That led to the whole, so every one of our competitors, they all came in and spoke at our conference and everybody was like, wait a minute, what's going on? So what happened as a result of that, analysts started to come to our conference. As a result of that, media started to come to our conference. As a result of that, like our conference went from like this uh, hardly like 200 people to over 1500 people. And that just blew up because we were okay by not taking the credit for our product. We were like, we want to build a movement. We want to build a category. We put it on flipmyfunnel.com. All these things really, it it really is a single mindset that I a thread that I think you can be through that is that founders, if they can fall in love with the problem over product, they will find phenomenal success. Like I'm a big believer of that. Fall in love with your problem, not with your product. Yeah. Yes. Come on. Yeah. Just to just to push what my funnel. I think anybody can you know should join and pay attention to it. It it changed a lot of the way that we were doing business, which was one of the things of like we want to get this guy because it changed the whole way that we thought about connecting. Yes. With While um, I was researching you, I was like, all right, what is account based marketing? What yeah. is flip my funnel? And as I listened to I listened to your podcast, I watched some YouTube talks of you at conferences, and I sent my team. The I was like, guys, I think we should be doing it this way. And it literally has changed our strategy. This podcast came out of it. So many things have come out of us recognizing, oh, yeah. like, we should just go straight for the people we want to work with in the end. 
um, and those, and so anyways, man, that's, it's cool hearing the story of how that happened. It, and I would just want to double check. Was that the main, was that the main, um, service and product that you guys were bringing to market was the flip my funnel idea? Well, so, so, so the flip myself, so the real, real quick story on that. Terminus, when, I, when we launched Terminus, like any marketer, we were like, oh, we, we need to announce to the world that we are here, right? And, and everybody wants to do that. We're launching this thing. Well, nobody cares. Like, really, nobody cares that you're here. Like, big deal. Yes. So, what we, we, I asked all the people I knew from my product sales was, hey, would you sponsor a conference I'm putting together? And they're like, why would we sponsor Terminus? It makes no sense. We don't even know you. We don't even know what the product is. We don't even know what ABM is. Like, why would we do it? I'm like, okay. So I bought this domain for eight bucks called Flip My Funnel and said, what about that? And every one of them said, oh, yeah, of course. We will, we will come and sponsor the same conference, the same all those things, as long as it's not called Terminus. It's called a community that is independent of Terminus. Wow. Take that as an idea and you could do that today. Every founder can yeah. go and build a community today because that is what goes back to the problem. Stop focusing on product market fit, but start figuring out problem market fit. It yeah. changes the game. And the way to figure out is the, is the market enough, is the problem real, is by building a conference or a community around it. We just saw people coming to the conference in droves or hitting our website over and over again because we gave so much to the community wow. that people had to ask, who are the people behind Flip My Funnel? Who are these people who are trying to like evangelize this yeah. flipping the funnel and changing the way marketing sales work? Yeah. And the answer was obvious. And so it was more inbound than we could even handle in mm. the early days because we were not doing any outbound calls. People were just coming Gosh. from the conference and all the buzz to us. So that's a different different way of marketing and business. Um, which ties back to your personal story, which is kill the ego and you'll get everything you want. hundred yeah. percent. Again, that conference, the sponsors were there. We were a booth just like everybody else. My keynote had no mention of Terminus. Zero. Even today, we have done over 15 conferences. Still the same. Zero mention of Terminus. It's literally the state of the union, which is why our competitors still sponsor our conference. Whoa. that's weird as shit but like that's what <laughs> like even today every one of them sponsors our conference like every year it's crazy yeah. wow. and that allows us to an industry conference not a user conference so what would you say is the problem you guys fell in love with that today you're still amped that you're solving and continuing to solve yeah it was it was less than one percent of the leads turning to customers that's what the traditional funnel is the broader the top, narrowed the bottom. And because of that, less than 1% of what comes in actually turns into customers. That's a stat from Forrester study. So very legit. So what we want people to do is just flip it. And why not start with the best fit accounts that you want to serve, that you know you can serve the best and focus on them and turn them into advocates ultimately. So that's our pitch is like, go after the right accounts because you don't want to build a business that is less than 1% turning to customers. That's not a good business to be. Wow. So instead of pumping all the all this, you know, marketing dollars, time, energy into ninety nine percent or the hundred percent to yeah. only get one percent, you're putting all that money into the one percent to start with, yep. and then those either become customers or advocates for you from that point on. It was a simple message backed by a study that Forrester Research launched in twenty fifteen and published. We just took took hold of that and wow. we said, Hey, look, here and, and that's the other part is like we showed the old funnel. And everybody like everyone knows, everybody knows this funnel. Yeah, everybody is using the old funnel. Like 
and everybody hates it. And like this corner is giving you 1%. That's your problem that, but there's no better way. But what if there is, imagine a flip funnel and now people could see a picture of success. And that's what really transforms people. When you can create, not, not taking them all the way. It's like the storytelling basics uh, as I learned over the years now is don't tell people something that, is, that they, they can't even take a leap off. They want hope. They want to go where they are. They want to go to the promised land, 100%. But do you have to show them the path to get there? You have to show where they are in mm-hmm. order for them to appreciate where they want to go. So when you show the traditional funnel, so whatever the problem you're, any, anybody listening to this, whatever is there in their ecosystem, understand the problem really well. Articulate it in such a way that their frustration and emotions are poured into it. So when we showed the funnel, we would ask, who loves the funnel? And nobody would great. Like everybody hates it. I'm like, great. Imagine if there was a better way. And now people are at the edge of the seats. Like, what are you going to talk about? And we show a new funnel that has never been shown. They're like, we never thought we could flip this. And now it's a hashtag. So it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a storytelling that allowed us to, to really pull people and capture the moment as opposed to telling, hey, we're going to do a targeted ad campaign that is going to be in front of the right accounts wherever they go. No, nobody understands that mumbo jumbo. Yeah. It's like, hey, what if we just change this? Man, I do want to like hit on it again. I know I was just celebrating how much it like impacted us and some decision making, but literally just because of the season that we're in and because it's impacted Drew and I's lives so much, the idea, because I think the idea literally could change people's businesses. So Drew and I, it's, you know, it's, it's July. We just had our quarterly meeting planning out next quarter we actually through COVID, our business grew and gosh, for like years, people have told me, Hey, coaching consulting, that's the first thing that's going to go if something happens. And you know, our, our butts are tightening up March, second week of March. We're like, Oh crap. You know, we actually had, we, we probably dropped 48% immediately in mm-hmm. March, but over that quarter from April to June, our business grew and it was the decision we made. We, we found you in maybe the first week of April or something like that. Yeah, and we started March, to change everything and we actually had very tiny growth from that quarter. And, and really, so personally, I'm like, I really am. Thank you. But also if, if somebody's listening, like, Hey, take it seriously. You really can change the story. Cause we saw, especially with everybody just posting on LinkedIn, we felt the pain of like, man, every, I got like 400,000, you know, COVID emails. And it was just like, this, this can't be the way anymore. Yeah. Like, this is not going to be, be at least our way for the way that we do business. And so I think there's plenty of people out there that's like, hey, this, this isn't a joke. This actually really could transform that issue if you're feeling that pain. So yeah, and love, it forced, love the idea. And it forced some of the lack of clarity out of us. Like yeah. when you're forced to identify the 1%, you have to, you have to ask questions that you either do or don't have answers for. Yeah. Like who is your best customer? What is the problem you can guarantee to solve? You know? And we didn't realize we, we were a little ambiguous on some of that. And you can have some sloppy marketing if you're just throwing money at a whole category uh, or a really general problem. Um, So that was huge for us. Yeah. Thank you again for that. That's great to hear guys. Great to hear. And thank you for sharing that as well. It, It, what's fascinating to me is when you crystallize, the real problem you're solving, it's almost like a five year old asking you why five times. And you get annoyed and you finally give up and say, because I said so, which is not what you should say, but that's what really happens because I am the founder. That's why we're going to solve this problem. That's not the right answer. We all know that's not the right answer. So you have to find out 
Whereas another big lesson I learned in this early pay, pay time is that unless somebody pays you money, like real money, and if that person is not someone related to you or a friend of yours, you shouldn't count them as customers. Yeah, like, yeah. We had over like 30 customers and we're like, oh, we're getting to this thing now. And like none of them, everybody came through like friends and like, you know, me picking the call, my family speaking the call or something like that. No, the first time we got a real customer who didn't know anything about us, man, we're shitting in our pants. Like the yeah. questions they were asking and how they were. And when they became our customer and they pointed at all the problems we had because they were paying money it allowed us to be so much better. So find a real customer that you don't know. And that's when you actually start having a real business. Wow. God, we, we literally felt that way in the last quarter. Again, we already had our own businesses. Not to yeah. make, this is the first time we've ever talked about our business on this podcast. Um, but it's so connected to what you're teaching. Um, but we had our own businesses of coaching and consulting. But it was, again, just more like me trading time for dollars, him trading time for dollars. Right. And we wanted to come together, and build, build something bigger and serve bigger problems. Um, anyways, it was in this last quarter that we really felt like from niching down from getting really specific that we started to find those like true first customers. And we're like, Whoa, this is really a thing now. Like this is really a customer that's not based off of what I brought in from my book of business and you brought in from yours. Um, so that's right where we're at. Now I, I just want to know mainly cause we're in our first year as a new company. What were the biggest challenges in that zero to a million uh, part of your company growth in that first year. What were the biggest challenges you guys had to overcome and how did you solve them? Oh man, so many challenges. Like a day is a year, year is a day is just real for me, uh, in, especially in the first year. And now looking back, it sounds a million in, in a year. Sounds like, wow, that's great. But every day, every day was a new day. Some of the problems, there's so many, but some of the problems were like, we just didn't know what we were doing. And one of the most important thing we did in the early days was we hired a business coach. I mean, it goes back to coaching thing. Like I, I really do like we, Bob Lewis is our business coach for almost four and a half years now. Wow. We hired him and he's our business coach from last four years or so. We'll meet him every week or every other week or every month or have other people in the company go. Having a coach was the number one thing that we felt that helped us talk through the stuff, the things that's just in you and, and get through that stuff because you, you keep shelving it, keep shelving it. And then it comes out like a big bang and it's not a good idea for anybody. So I would big recommendation is I wish we would have done sooner. Like, like, like mm. day one, like you gotta have a business coach that helps you actually drive your business forward and has no other, no other reason to be part of the business other than to see you successful. Like exactly. So they'll be independent, they have no equity. There's nothing that they want. They just want you to be successful. You, I think that you need that. You absolutely and we, need that. And we didn't pay you to say that, just, just to, to be clear, right? <laughs> we, did not, we did not pay you to say that. That's it. But well, we will be now. We, we will <laughs> now. That's right. Take this clip and use it. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's exactly. I think it's just true. I mean, I've said Bob's name. And the and funny thing about great coaches is like Bob, he, he doesn't even have a website. Yeah. Right. Like, so, you know, it's like, he is just well, like, dude, I'm, I'm just doing it by myself and he's all referral based. And that's what I think the first year is. First year is to get as much referral business as possible. Okay. And make the first set of 10 customers incredibly widely successful. Uh, one of the big statements I use all the time is that retention is the new acquisition. Mm. Yeah. 
And a lot of people miss on that. I think that one of the first, one of the very big problems we ran into in the first year was because we were, we were talking about this new category, a new thing, and a new shiny thing. And I, you know, I'm a marketer, so they're like, yeah, new shiny, I'm in for it, right? I'm just like that. I want to try new things all the time. So we did not focus on retention as much in the first year. And we got hit really bad, really, really, really bad. And that hit us because we were raising money and we're having top line and we're having growth like crazy from one to five to 15 and all that. But under, underneath we were getting, we were cutting our knees, like we were chopping off over and over again. And until we kind of figured out now more than like before is that, wow, if instead of having 50 new customers, if we would have focused on keeping the 10 customers that we had and made them wildly successful, we would have been a much better financial situation than even where we are today. So wow. that is one, one big lesson for me. Gosh. That's huge. Yeah. The first time Jordan ever showed me this idea of like the seven profit activators, that was the part that I had never heard before was the lifetime value of a customer and yeah. how, how huge that is, whether it's referral to other business or just the fact that they could be using your service for, for days on end, how much more expensive it is to go get a new customer. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh man, I love that. So first year, huge challenges. You guys overcome that. Uh, second year, third year, fourth year. Uh, is there anything to happen next after that? Like we are a real company. Yeah. We've got some raving fans. Is it scale time? Is that, is that where, how would you characterize the next season? So that's a great question, man. I think in, in, in having raised money, I think that has added another level of pressure, if you will, every year to grow at a certain level. What I realized the first year was all about vision selling, like how, where we are going, what we think and how we think about the world and all that allowed us to grow that fast. The second year was all execution. Mm. And it's a, such a big difference between the two that yeah. it took a while for us to, to just recognize you can sell anything. If you're a good salesperson, good marketer, uh, you can probably sell anything out there in the market. And that's great, but you have to deliver value and, and deliver. And, and we didn't know exactly how this idea, which sounds good and right, will actually show and manifest itself into results because there were, the CRM is lead-based and we're talking account-based. There's, no, there's not a single analytics platform at that time that actually did account-based analytics. It all was lead-based analytics. That's why we acquired a company that does and change their whole thing to make it account. So we had to do crazy things to not only do the right thing, but also to show the results coming out of it because that's a completely different way to look at it. So execution became a big thing for us, which meant we need to hire the people who have been there, done that to some of these areas. This is, this is no longer going to be like, okay, let me just, just whip out a new, uh, new deck and, and try yeah. to, to sell, right? So like, no, no, we need people who know how to sell, who know how to process it, who can make it more predictable. That is nothing was predictable. The first year million, like it was the last day of December when we actually hit all of a sudden, like it wasn't like we planned it. We just hit it. So, yeah. yeah. So there was no plan. So next year, second, two to three years, I think it's all building that execution muscle that most founders don't have. Wow. Yep. That's so good. Well, this brings me to um, the people that I'm sure are scaling with you in this process. So your business is growing, your book of business is growing now, your infrastructure, the people involved in this are growing. Uh, and from what I've gathered already doing my research on you, you guys have this fr phrase of giving the keys to Ferrari and yeah. you call your people terminators. You have all these amazing pictures, which back to flip my funnel are really 
really great for inspiring and teaching and moving people. Um, What's that been like? You know, how did that start? Has that been there from the very beginning, from the first hire? Uh, Was that also a process of of giving power to them? And then just tell, I mean, that's, that's really counterintuitive to a lot of cultures and a lot of companies, what that's been like for you guys. So it, the, the culture is the most, like everybody says that culture is the most important thing and, and we all try to build great cultures. Um, and honestly, I think if I have to define culture, there's only one type of culture that works. That's a winning culture. Hmm. Like you gotta make That's people good. win. You'll have a great culture, guaranteed. Like you don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> you have to yeah. worry when you're, you're not winning, right? Like when you're actually not closing deals, that's when you have like snack problem and all these problems that come up like <laughs> your office. But when you're a winning culture, that's what people need to build. And to build a winning culture, I think your core values make a big impact. So one of the early days, we created these two uh, like core values that have tension in them. Because we wanted that tension. And one is keys to the Ferrari, which means you're the driver. We're not hiring you to sit in the back seat. You have the keys to the fastest car in the world. Drive on the freeway. Do whatever you need. We trust you. We believe you. You have the keys to the Ferrari. Like that was the mindset. It's like, don't ask for permission. Do it. That kind of thing. Like we trust you. And then one team, which was like almost the opposite of it. But it meant like, well, one thing is that we stand behind each other no matter what. So when things go wrong, don't say marketing made a mistake. No, we like, there's no customer is going to say, oh, your marketing sucks, but your sales is amazing. Nobody ever said that. Yeah. People say Terminus sucks or Terminus is good. Like that's what people would get wired up. So we wanted to have like, we stand from, every, we can have as much chaos internally, but from outside, we are one team. So we created these two core values that have this intrinsic circle is like how we behave internally with like this idea of like keys to the Ferrari, just go, everybody's empowered, do incredible things, do the best work of your life. And then external, external is like, we are one team. If there is somebody says, we got a problem, you take that problem and until it's solved, because you heard about the problem, you're responsible to make sure that problem is solved. It doesn't matter if you're an intern or a C-level executive. So creating that allowed us to have the right level of friction um, to move things forward because if there's no friction, if everybody's saying yes, 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 mm. you got problems. Yeah. Yes. But you, you eliminated silos and you empowered decision-making yeah. in those yeah. two values, which is, oh, that's money. I love it. It's only two. I'm thinking about some companies that I know that they want their core values in and they've heard it. And I'm like, you've got eight, like, and nobody remembers it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody knows that. Yeah, and they haven't really impacted any policy or any day-to-day behavior or action actions, right? Oh. I love that, man. It makes me think of uh, um, Bob Iger when he took over Disney, and he said one of the first things he did was they had a, a, a strategic planning group that at one point in the company was really helpful. Like they, the visionary at the time needed uh, a, a lot of dat- data analytics on whether this was a right move for them or right acquisition or whatever. But that grew and it grew and it grew. And he got more reliant on it and mm. it was disempowering all the leaders below them. Mm. So like whoever was, you know, in name and power over marketing or over operations or whatever had to get approval uh, and even get the marching orders from the strategic planning group. Yeah. And the first thing he did was whittle it down to like eight people from 60 to eight, give all the power back to the actual people leading their, their thing and then only made strategic planning in charge of new ventures. Like you yeah. guys are 
back to what we hired you for. Go back to go back to new opportunities, but everybody else gets to make decisions now. And yeah. they said the employee engagement went through the roof. Their overall experience went through the roof and their profitability simply because they gave power back. Yeah. Uh, and I just, uh, when I, I heard that story, I thought of you guys starting that way. Yeah. Right. Um, I, mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I want to make sure that none of this comes across. Like we got this right the first time. Like sure. first time when we created BF7. Like we were one of those, right? And we had this whole presentation. We got everybody excited about it. Three months later, we were in a meeting and somebody was like, well, I don't know if it's our, it fits in our core values. I'm like, what are our core values? And he's like, well, I don't know, but it doesn't sound like. I'm like, well, that's the problem. <laughs> and then you, I went around that day, like asking, well, what are our core values? From table to table, desk to desk. And I would encourage everybody listening, do this as an exercise as to like, how are you living and breathing your core values? Are your questions like we want intern in the company to say something like keys to the Ferrari? I'm gonna yeah. go do it. Like if you don't hear that or in an email, hashtag one team, if you don't see it at least once a day, you don't got your core values right. Wow. So hit on the so the values thing gives you just a pivot right over to I've equipped them with the values, but I gotta give them the vision or the mission or whatever. You guys have that too. And and I uh, forgive me, I can't remember it. Um, but I remember you talking about that. What's the, the missional thing that's driving everybody forward? What's oh, that? Make marketers, yeah, make marketers heroes in their organizations, period. Like yeah. we, we don't have, like we don't even say account-based marketing. Like I wrote two wow. books on it, but we don't even talk about that because you got to do nothing with that if we can make them heroes, get promoted, get like, you know, transformed, see results, make like, then we, we don't exist. Yeah. Our job is not to be the hero. Like that just has to be distilled down to like, st- like I don't know you guys are familiar with story brand. Uh, yeah. by Don Miller, right. As he says, you gotta be the guide. You gotta be the guide. So we just said, we want to make marketers, our customers, heroes in their organization, period. Like wow. there's no other way to look at it. There's no other reason why we should be coming to the job other than doing that. Uh, it's like, like when you're with a customer success or marketing or the collateral, are we trying to make them heroes? That's what our job is. If not, then uh, if we look like heroes, they say Terminus is awesome. It's not good. It's not great. It's like, you are awesome. You need to see results. You need to get promoted. Like, that's what we need to live and, and, and say, like, that's what, not thousand customers, but we have like thousand great promoted, like people with ABM in their title. Now that's something to stand for. Yes. Well, now I know why I sent the email I sent yesterday. I didn't realize that you were influencing me, but I told, I told this person who is over the uh, culture development for this entire giant organization. I said, I think, I think I've got what you need to be the hero at your organization. I literally use that, <laughs> that language. That is so good. That is so good. Now I know it came from you. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Correct. All right. Well then tell me this, what does it mean? Uh, just as we're going through the different elements of y'all's kind of core, um, you know, materials or, or things that are made up of your organization. Why do you call them terminators? <laughs> so um, I don't know if you, uh, any, if you guys are a fan of the walking dead yep. uh, or heard about walking dead. So when we came up, uh, like I think started in 2015 uh, terminus, you know what terminus stands for or what the name, where the name come from? I do, but I'd like, I think you should share it for the audience. <laughs> so I don't. Terminus is the original name of the city of Atlanta. Yeah. And in Walking Dead, that was a big deal in 2015. I don't know if it is, I haven't watched, like, I haven't watched it in a while. So it was big deal in 2015. And everybody, and there was this place called Terminus. And, and you know, and, and that's where people actually 
would would like die or something like that. And I'm like, and so when we call, I remember like some of our salespeople would call and they're like, are you the walking dead people? Like, like yes. you know, well, do you like the show? Let's talk about that. But then we'll get to, to the business part of it. But all that to say is that, you know, we, we knew like, all right, that's no problem. If people start looking at us as like, you know, like walking dead people, like we, we need to be like alive people and stuff. And so somebody said like, hey, Terminators, like we are Terminus, like Terminators. We do incredible things to, to just help drive this forward. So that just stuck. So we just call it like, you know, Terminators from day one. Wow. I love that. And I love that it just kind of happened. My, what I'm curious about is like, I could see somebody going, Hey, that's just not my style. I would never name my employee, any kind of thing. But like, what is the, what is the lesson under the name where it's like, you might not call them terminators because you might think that's whatever, not your culture, but you should take this lesson from it and what this did. What is that lesson? Yeah, no, that's good. Great question, Jordan. It's, I think people don't, a lot of times I feel like we don't put enough value on words. Mm. And words have the power of life and death. Like words have huge power. They change history, change life, change cultures. Like we all know words have incredible power. Like you think about, I have a dream speech, or you think about Steve Jobs keynote, and we know it's all driven by words that Mm -hmm. are transforming people when you hear those things the way they do. So I think that is, you know, another way as a marketer, I think about that as branding. Everything you need to start thinking about branding is a big deal. So when we think about even features in our product, we have a debate on what we call them, right? Like mm. we, we don't want to call them play and go or elite or, or this. We want to call, we even our packages in, 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 it doesn't just call starter package or something like that. It's like, you know, it's one of the big packages that you want to have is a terminator package in pricing, right? Like you literally use that and it actually helps you drive all the business. So it allows people to use it in different phrases. And when it becomes your own local lingo, local Mm. phrase, people start using it, you own it and then things like that. So you're right. It may not be fitting to the keys to the Ferrari. People think that I I don't have, I have a red Jeep. I love my Jeep. Like I'm not a Ferrari guy. If somebody gave me a Ferrari, I may not like I'll take a test drive, but I don't want that. But it's not the Ferrari. It's the idea of driving on an open road with no bounds, going as fast as you can, the fastest car, thinking like you have full control. That's the emotion you want it to be driven through. Yeah. So words have power. And I think it will serve well for people to think about the words they use and not let it go to the marketing intern or somebody to come up with something. Yeah, that's money. Well, on the words, so they have the power to move and motivate people, right? Yeah. But they also have the the power to keep things in a lane mm. where when we don't put a story to it or we don't put the right uh, succinct wording around something, we get a lot of clear, we get a lot of confusion. You know, Henry Cloud, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about the, the mist in my mind becomes the cloud in the organization. Yeah, I love that. And it's like, God, I've, I've had to say that's me, like as the leader of an organization at times, like I realize I'm creating the cloud in the organization because I can't seem to get clear on what is the what is the exact problem we're solving or you know who are the players involved like you've given people uh frameworks yeah. you are a terminator here's yeah. what it means to be a terminator we have built a ferrari that we call account based marketing right yes. you are going to drive it and where you're going to drive it to is yeah. making marketers at other companies heroes and it's yeah. like oh there's the map yeah. So when I, sh- when I show up, I know who I am, what I'm driving, where I'm going, 
yep. and it makes it the odds of success. That's what he and I always talk about. Like, how do we increase the odds of success? You yeah. know, yeah. where if you do that, it's more likely you're going to end up where you want to go. Yeah. Um, and that's what, what I'm hearing from this. Yeah. Welcome, Drew. I, I love that. I think, it, and none of this would come naturally. Like, right. let's just super underscore that for everybody who might be listening and think, oh yeah, like that's what we need to do. No, you're going to get moved in like 15 million directions every single day. You're making decisions. And this might seem like the last thing, the last thing, if the last, if that is a thing to even think about. But if you don't, you're going to lose control faster than, than on a highway, you know, that you're going with a Ferrari <laughs> because you don't know what you're driving, right? You're yeah, driving yeah. an 18 wheeler before you know it and you don't want to be in an 18 wheeler. So yeah. there are these, these things, I think these are the decisions that you have to. So one of the things that I have learned to do uh, over years of time is like one is journaling. Like it's a really big deal mm. for me. Uh, four years ago, I started doing that. Actually, it's me and my son. Um, like he and I journal uh, at least three or four times a night. Sometimes we do it together, which is a lot of fun to have conversations. It's just very, very like therapy. Wow. But when, you, when I started journaling, I think writing down what's important to me and, or things that were good, I actually even have a framework. I'm a framework guy. So when you use the word framework, that's exactly right. Funnel, framework, team, the ABM is a framework. Uh, when I do journaling, it's actually a framework. And yeah. it's without that i think we just don't know where we're going yeah mm -hmm. and it's it, that creates anxiety that's great tension but when you know where you're going you can just scratch off like okay i did these three things i did this it, it just changes the way you come in every morning to work yes and that's exactly what's happened with us over the last six months it's like you know if you're not in the right ballpark you're already in trouble like we knew we were in the right ballpark we even knew we were solving often the problems that we wanted to solve. But it was like you started scratching off with enough time and reflection and him and I calling each other and being like, I think it's, I think it's this, right? And every bit of clarity would add a new bit of momentum to our team. Good. They, they would feel like, I know where the win is now. Like yeah. almost like a dog needing the scent. Like give me just one scent. Don't give me 10 different things you want me to hunt down. Like go give me one so that we even know when we're winning. Like so many companies don't even know when they're winning. Oh, and they don't celebrate it. Like, that's another big thing. It's like, that's all like, the culture is a winning culture. Don't create, and winning doesn't mean, thank you for bringing that up, by the way, Drew, because I think a lot of time people need to define what winning means. Yes. Right, and a lot of time, right, now. right. And, and we could give all the glory to just the sales deals closing, and you need that because that's how everybody gets paid. So you gotta make sure that win is very well recognized and, and talked about. But there are lots of wins that happen throughout your company. And, and I think Andy Stanley says, says, said it best, is like what gets repeat, uh, rewarded is what gets repeated, yep. right? What gets rewarded is what gets repeated. So the more you reward the right things, the right behaviors, the more repetition of those things you will see in your organization, I think is so well said and so yes. So yes. I would encourage everybody to define the wins that mm. mean something to your organization and not just financial things because that will that will ruin your organization from or rob your organization from greatness yes yeah for us you know i think the way we like to think about income is a few different ways one it's validation that you're offering value yeah you know so it's like we need to know that like we're actually bringing value to the table and we'll know that because people are willing to pay for it right uh, and then second is it lets you play the game mm -hmm. like that's, that's how I think of it. It's like, I just want to keep playing this game. I really love doing, like me and Jordan, we're like, if, if this didn't work financially, we could figure something else out. 
But what I'd be most sad about is I love our team. Yeah. And I, I love getting to have this business as part of what we're doing with our lives and collaborating together and those kinds of things. Like, so you're right. Those are different wins. Yes. Right? You're not just measuring the, the money. You're measuring the impact. You're, you're measuring for us. We start every, every uh, team meeting asking them uh, to report out or celebrate uh, a value of our company they saw mm-hmm. uh, exhibited this week in themselves or somebody else. Because that is the win. We're like, oh, we're doing it. Yeah, this is good. this is a win, right? And and in our world, it was you cultivate what you celebrate. Like yeah. when you celebrate it, you cultivate it, right? Same idea. Nice. Um, man, it's so cool. So I want to know for you. You have so much enthusiasm, so much, and I've watched so many of your videos on LinkedIn, and it's not contrived. It's not like this is what I should. I'm going to project to get momentum. What drives you? We, are, we talked about your faith. That's a huge one. It's one for us as well. I came, my background was a pastor for 10 years before I did this. Yeah. Um, but what other things, like what other things are driving you personally that keep you energized, that get you excited about your life, your day, that kind of thing? Well, that's great. I mean, faith is definitely at the top. I feel like uh, just, I think I just, I just know that my identity is just not here. It's, it's somewhere else. I think it just changes your mindset. Mm. Uh, the second thing is I, I all feel like I'm an immigrant. And I'll say straight up, like, I think that's my, one of the greatest assets that I have over everybody who's not an immigrant right now. And I say that I used to like shy, be shy about that, but I feel like I'm being a disservice by not saying that uh, wow. to other people because people who are born and raised in America don't realize the incredible opportunity they got. If someone like me can come from India 15 years ago, and actually end up, if you would have told me that's going to happen 15 years ago, for me to come here, write books, start a company, raise money, have jobs for people, build, I mean, there's just no way, no part of me would have said, I got so, I, I, like, I, I feel like I get, I, I feel sad when I don't do anything good with my, like, my day because I'm like, this opportunity is insane. Like, wow. why would somebody wake up every morning and just give that thousand percent? Not hundred thousand percent. And for me, being an immigrant, I feel like I got the greatest opportunity of my life to be in this country. So I love this country. I love the opportunity I have, and I feel like I have an advantage over every person who's born and raised here because I don't think they get it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that gets me. It gets me choked up, man, dude. That's legit. Yeah. And I used to be shy about that. I, I, did, I used to say maybe that will rub the people the wrong way. I want it to rub the wrong way. I want people to feel like they got something that they need to like, really, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. Like yeah. do something, like make mm. something out of it because it's available. If I can do it, oh my God, anybody, anybody can yeah. do something. I'm excited every day for the opportunity I have. I'm thank God for that. Man, so. something in and kind of the, the psychology field is, is a term they, they use called hedonistic adaptation. Mm. And I'm terrified of it because I've already seen it in my life. And the basic idea is that, you know, hedonism is the pursuit of joy, happiness, the opportunity. Uh, but then hedonistic ad- adaptation is just our natural propensity to when we get what we want, we stop wanting what we have. Right. <laughs> so you get, you get used to it. Like you're like, yeah. Oh, I, I used to think this much money would change my life forever. Now I have that much money and I'm used to it and I want more. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think we could, we could already have a conversation that's pretty intuitive around avoiding the negative side of that, where yeah. we don't, we, we see the pitfalls, especially coming from a faith community. I'm, I'm used to spotting the pitfalls of chasing greed or, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I, I would like to hear about the positive side of keeping hunger alive. 
you know, oh. passion alive and not getting uh, adapted to it in a way where you lose your fire kind of thing. Can you speak to that at all? I mean, I mean to, honestly, like, I mean, we, we, Manmeet and I, my wife, and we talked about this. We have a circle that we created up for our family. And um, we said, this is all we need. And that is all we're working towards is, and, and we would never, we would not go and sell this house and buy a bigger house, you know, when we sell Terminus or get like YPO, because we've gone, I think our company is at a level where we feel like something like that will happen at some point, right? Yeah. We're not going to go and buy a, a million dollar house. That's not what drives, you're not going to put a Bentley or Mercedes or even anything. What we have is what we have. We drew a circle and said that this is what we want in order to have a great life that we believe that we have and everything else that we would get outside of this circle is not ours. We'll, we'll do something with it. And, and we are looking forward to that, like working hard to, to get to that part as quickly as possible in our life. Wow. And then we also created something that I just created like our, our personal family mission statement. Like, so it is Roger is always make it through with God's love, grace, and truth. So what we want our kids to like legacy to have is not the financial stuff or a bank account or anything like that. 20 years from now, our, we want our kids to come back and tell us that, hey, they're living a life of grace and truth. Like, mm. that's it. Like, those are our core values. Like, going back to two core values, those are our family core values. Like, we want, we want, we expect truth in every conversation that we have. And we, and you should expect when you tell the truth, grace in every conversation you have. And as long as we have those two things, we're good. So we, we literally say that every day when we bless our food or anything like that. And that is how we want to lead our life. So those things, like, it's incredible. Like right now with all the COVID stuff happening, our backyard is like a summer camp for kids, right? Like we put a zip line in there. Like we put like a, a whole bunch of like badminton stuff there. We bought a whole tennis thing there so kids can just, you know, put the tennis ball to the net and stuff. Because like, I think the opportunity in life is so abundant around you. It's just a matter of just opening it, seeing it, and just accepting it and receiving it in many ways. Man. Wow. That's money. For some reason, it made me think about this, uh, this thought. So I've, uh, talked to people about like, Hey, quitting is never an option, but you need to understand that failure can be an option because I find that that allows people to access risk. And so the, the question I wrote down that I wanted to ask was like, Hey, how do you assess risk or how is, how is terminus assessing risk and even facing failure? Cause you've got to take some, you got to make some bets. You're acquiring a company. Yeah. And, and like, how do you make those bets? Because as, as things grow, the stakes get bigger. I could lose more and it feels you, you become more afraid. Of course, there's some like entrepreneurial DNA where people can face those things. And that there is some like behavioral dynamics in that, that they face risk a little bit better than others. Yeah. But is there a way in which you, you kind of say, Hey, this is the way we assess risk or the way that I like to assess risk in life. So many different ideas and thoughts popping in my head as you're asking that because it's 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 it, not doing something is a risk in itself. Yeah, that I did not recognize the importance of that is is a lot of times it's the status quo that kills a great future and greatness that you might see in life. It's just being where you are and not not really putting in the effort on trying and testing something like that. So as a culture, wow. we have a big testing idea of like let's just do this thing. Um, and, and I think we realized as a leadership team, we need to have, we need to know that people are going to evolve. Some people are going to grow. Some people are not going to grow. I'll be the first one to say as a founder, I'm not a great CEO at, at certain stage of the organization. 
I just wouldn't be a great CEO at certain stage of the organization the way I think right now. I don't think God is, I don't think God wants me to do that or has blessed me with that. So we hired my old boss, Tim Kopp, as the CEO of the organization. He ran Exact Target, took that uh, as a CMO, helped that company go public, was a venture capitalist for five years. So he knows how to make deals. As soon as we brought him in as uh, at, like what, eight months ago or something like that, he came in and he just understood the VC game better than anybody else. So we ended up acquiring two more companies. So now within wow. six years, we have three companies that we have acquired. And the way he's making those deals happen is like magic because he gets the VC side of it. Like how do you create equity? How do you do this thing? How do you not put cash in it, but trade uh, like equity for this? I'm just learning like a sponge around all of wow. these things. But I don't think we could have done any of those things if he wouldn't be our CEO right now. Yeah. And letting go of those things, like if we, in ego state, there's no way anybody else is running this shop, right? Like it's, it's just, but right now, my equity, the same amount is worth three times more because of him. Wow. That's a win. So these things are like so important to recognize of letting go and some of the stuff we talk. It's, it's, it's a business concept that is also a a faith concept but it's also a great life concept if you really start applying to it man we had a guy on this podcast that you would absolutely love we love him this michael brody Waite, and he uh he was a former drug addict he, he had a ted talk that went bananas lead like a drug addict and uh it was because these his his sponsor gave him three things that said would either say would save his life and if he didn't do he would lose his life and one of those things was release the outcome. So it was like radical authenticity. And the second was um, to release the outcome. And again, for him, it was a spiritual thing as much as it was a personality thing, a day-to-day stressor thing, but it was also a business thing yeah. that he had to keep doing. Like, I'm going to let go of the ego or let go of the outcome. Like, I'm going to do what's right and how that kept working. And I'm like, man, this is like the wisdom of Solomon kind of stuff, you know? Where- Dude, that's awesome. Put me in touch with him. I love, I to, love, to, love to talk to him because that's great. I mean, those stories are the inspiration, like to move yes. on. Yes. Uh, otherwise, it's paralyzing. Uh, to yes. just like, I, sh- I shut off news like probably six months ago. Like the only time I would just scroll through um, somewhere, just knew what's happening, but I've just stopped watching it because it's just what you put in is it, it will just like ruin you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what, that's again, why we've hand selected. You'll hear the same themes in all of, all of these companies we interview and different flavors. Everyone's got different personalities, but we're attracted to them. I think for the same reason, like you guys are doing things in a different way, not just to be different, but in counterintuitive ways that are working, uh, that take people into consideration, that take values into consideration that uh, are innovative in the right ways. Um, so it's really cool to see one thing we also ask, and then we'll get to our lightning round questions, uh, is because you can be discouraging, oddly enough, if you're listening to this and maybe your company hasn't experienced this rapid growth or you haven't figured out some of these pieces yet. Um, and we don't ever want people to, to buy into the idea that it's just always great. Or even right now, we're, we're now past problems. Like we're off into the sunset where movies end. Uh, so just as an example, if you're willing to share with us, like what's something right now that would be a present problem that you guys are like, yeah, even at this stage, we're still figuring this out. Oh, where do I start? Um, right now. Uh, and the problems only get bigger. 
Yeah. Never get tomorrow. So if you feel the problem right now, small, like big, like guess what? Then you're not cut out for this. Uh, Better like solving problems. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you really need to get into my And I, you know, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Brett Hagler, it might be a great guest to interview as well. He's the CEO of New Story Charity. Um, they're doing some phenomenal stuff. They had money. Uh, they, they, they raced through Tony Robbins and stuff. Like he's, they're doing some really, really good nonprofit work. Yeah. In an innovative way where they're building like 3D printed houses um, in the world. And they're like the first nonprofit that was able to build, build I think, 100 houses in 100 days in different locations. So um, I gave all wow. like, uh, all proceeds of my, my book to that charity. It's just just incredible charity, interpreter guy, great guy. Um, happy to make an intro if please. you want to on. Yeah, yeah please. Brad yeah. Hagler. Um, and he said something. I had him come and do a keynote for our all hands for our company uh, before, literally before, like a day before everything shut down. So it was like the whole company was there and the next day we had to shut it down. And he said something really interesting. He said, when bad things happen, we say, good. Mm. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? And he's like, well, here it is. Good that we know what the problem is. Now we can go and figure out what to do next. Mm. Not knowing the problem is a big problem. So if you know what the problem is, say good. Like get into the habit of breathing and saying good. I get it. I understand the problem now. So now we can start focusing on what might be a solution. The problems are not bad, actually. I would love problems every day, 10 times more than not knowing what the problem is. What, what really makes me edgy is like what I don't know what's going on or what, yeah. what's working. It makes me even more edgy when something that's working, I don't know why it's working. Like it drives me bananas. Like I need to know, like we need to know as an organization. So all that to say is problem is not bad. A lot of people think it's bad. Problem is a really good thing if you know what that is. Wow. Yeah, I've heard the, uh, I, I learned it when learning about design thinking stuff, but the, it all starts with that, like a problem well-defined is half solved. I knew it. And I just love that. It's like, yeah. okay, and that, that makes you feel like, okay, good. Yeah, we're, we're close. Yeah, uh, I knew you awesome. were going to say that. I was going to bring it up that he'd been preaching that for years. Yeah, that's certainly one me, of my little things. He yeah, used to make me so mad because I was like, no, it's just a problem, man. Like just defining it. But I started problems right now, right? We right now being very real, we have a problem of diversity in our organization right now with everything going on. We just were like, okay, this is no longer a thing to talk about. We have no diversity at the board level. We have no diversity like outside of me, which I do not even consider in my head diversity, but like there's nothing, there's no diversity of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of sex or like no, nothing. So we're like, we gotta solve, we gotta start working on this problem. And this is a problem that we, is very well defined and very well known. And we need to address that as a business priority. So it's a, it's a big challenge. Um, wow. Hiring from that perspective, change is, we're changing everything we possibly could to figure out how do we start bridging the gap that has always been there, but now it's just more pronounced uh, wow. for, for us to see that. And, and, and stay, being in Atlanta, it's, it's actually, it, it, we, didn't, we, we redefined it as like, okay, we need to be a representation of what our customers and community we live in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if we live in Atlanta and if our organization does not look like a typical Atlanta community, then we got a problem. Like we, we don't have an excuse anymore around that. 
Um, yeah. Same thing with our customers. If our customer base is certain style, we're not having, like most marketers are females, like women, like women leaders all over them, 80% of them. And if our executive team does not represent that, we got a problem. So I think it's a really big problem. I wish like somebody else wants to swap this problem, like I'll do it right there. Because it's hard to solve and it's time consuming and it's a, diff, it's a very intentional activity that you have to engage in. It's a different muscles, that, but it's important. Yes. So yes. something that we're dealing right now um, and trying to address it, uh, we're trying to address uh, our financial situation as an organization. We're half flying, doing great. All of a sudden, you know, 250 people, that's a lot of, uh, lot of capital that, that goes in that um, with a lot of companies freezing their accounts and stuff like that. We were, when we were trying to do everything we can to help. We have to reassess and we are uh, our financial situation that everybody knows that unless something crazy happens, you don't have to look behind your back if you're going to have a job or not. Yeah. That's not the culture we have. So, if we, so we did a cut very early on at a, at a little bit deeper than, than we needed to because we wanted to make sure and we give them a longer severance package so that they can go find a job uh, yeah. as opposed to but we have to do make some of those tough decisions and address that and now we're on the other side we're hiring again so it feels better about that but trying to make sure that once we do the thing the people in the company should never look behind their back and say oh next week is me is, is that me like wow not over so we made sure we did this and we said for the next two years Unless there's a performance issue or unless something crazy happens, we're not doing this again. So, like those, yep. things you're just constantly trying to work through. Man, I can I just say I, I got to see from LinkedIn uh, during I guess when you guys made cuts, I got to see so many people post from your company that were a part of that cut that got let go. Yep, and I was just so amazed by the the things they were saying. You know, they didn't sugarcoat for some of them that it was hard and it, that they were sad. But they were always grateful to to you, to the organization. I even saw you posting, like commenting on some of theirs and yeah. references and stuff. I was like, man, if you had to get cut, which that was the reality of COVID. Yeah, that's the hardest thing in the whole world. Is like people were getting hit and hurt that that didn't deserve it. Often, often happens because someone made a financial mistake or a company did something they shouldn't have done, and then now they're paying for it. It's like COVID just had no cares of how good your business was or whatever. It came in and hit you in the face, right? And so what I was amazed though was hearing someone that just got let go the way they were talking about their time at Terminus and yeah. the gratitude from having their time there and that kind of thing. Again, just uh, not to just keep tooting your horn, but like that was yeah. really cool to see. That was really special to see. And, I, and thank you for saying that. And I would give full credit to Tim Kopp who, who came in as a CEO because again, I don't think I would have the know anything. And most, none of us know how to handle this COVID situation, all stuff, but he just, he just, he's so good at some of these things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a wuss at a lot of these things. Like I, like, I don't want to let go anybody in the world. Same. Like I don't do any of this stuff. So I'm like really bad. And he, like, he really trained us to realize that this is good for them. Here's how we're going to do it. We, and we do it right. We only do, we only cut once. We don't cut twice. We're not going to do that. And we do it like, so he, he just had a really good, like he allowed us to really yeah. be, very thoughtful in the process. He obviously yeah. would say, here's what we're doing, but it allowed us to come together as a team in a very thoughtful process. And ultimately as a CEO, it was his decision to do it the right way. And he did it the right way. And I think the best way, I don't want to say right way, but the best way we possibly could do. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. 
Wow. Yeah, it reminds me of that old adage, measure twice, cut once. Instead yeah. of measure once, cut twice, right? Wow. Uh, it applies here as well. So that's, that's really cool. All right, well, we've already taken up a lot of your time. Uh, so I want to make sure we, we wrap this up with our rapid fire questions. Um, but man, thank you again uh, for, for doing this. Anytime. Love this. Yeah. Rapid fire, man. We've got five questions for you. Uh, question number one. If you can ingrain one message into your organization, what would it be? Uh, a saying, being intentional is more important than being brilliant. Mm, nice. All right, be intentional, more important than being brilliant. Yep, love that. Uh, question number two, uh, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and what's the worst advice you've gotten? Uh, I'll start with the worst one uh, because that uh, we get a lot more of that than the best ones. <laughs> uh, the, the, the worst one was like, keep grinding your way, keep grinding your way to the very end. And like, well, yeah, like that, that doesn't work. It burns out ultimately if you don't do it the right, if you don't surround yourself with the right people. So I don't think hard work is not the problem. The, 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 the daily hard work until you die is a problem. Like that's not how it's supposed to be. Like mm -hmm. you, you need to start surrounding up people around you. It's the worst of all, like just grind every day for the rest of your life and you'll have a great life. No, that yeah. doesn't make sense. Like I want to work hard, but I want to go play tennis. I want to go do like that. Like I want to do what spend time with my kids. So people need to understand the rest period is very important for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things I do very quickly was I literally switch off my phone every Friday, 7 p.m. until after church on Sunday on purpose and I'm sharing that because I feel like it has made me realize I'm not the center of universe yeah wow and it has allowed me to be present so I'll say worse grinding is important hard work is important but understand your boundaries there yeah. um, wow. the the best advice I got from from anybody is that is is that you don't the the only decision that you make with a committee uh, and that's actually from, came from my coach Bob was uh, was where do you want to go for lunch? Like you don't make any <laughs> committee decisions. Like that doesn't mean that you're autocratic and you're actually telling what to do. But you always need to have one clear owner whose job is to take this, make decisions in any situation for whatever that project is. And other people have to agree, disagree, debate, whatever. But then commit, like Jeff Bezos would say, like disagree and commit. You don't yeah. make decisions by committee. You never do that. If you do that, you will never. You you have conversations. Of course, you have debates about it, but somebody is responsible to make decisions. Let that person be responsible and own that decision. And mm. I think it freed us up. Boom. Wow. I love that one. That's awesome. Mm. Uh, number three, being completely honest, what's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? Uh, um, not being the best dad and husband. Yeah. Uh, as I go through all of the ups and downs of life, I think that's, that is really a big fear of mine. Hmm. Man, dude, thank you for sharing that. Um, man, what's the number four? What's the dream result that you're driving towards every day? I, I, it goes back to the mission statement of our families. If, if no matter how much money, not money, whatever happens in our life, um, if, you know, as our kids grow up and they go out in the world and, and they, they don't live a life of grace and truth, um, I think that would be the greatest uh, downfall that, uh, for everything we did. So I think that my dream is that they come back and they raise their own kids and families the same way where grace and truth is at the prime and the most important thing of their life that drives them. 
And I hope we, and me and my wife, we demonstrate that in every day. Yeah. That's money. All right, question number five, last question. If you could hop in the DeLorean, go back five seconds, uh, go back to your past, you get five seconds, you get to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window. When would you go back and what would you say? Yeah. I'll, I'll probably go back um, to, to, to the time when I actually was at my first job here in the States. And I did not really believe in myself. Um, I had all these like things around me. It's like, well, not good enough. Um, can't really do, can't, just English is my second language. All these things that just, just started to like put, pull me down. And I remember even having a conversation with somebody saying, you know, I'm not sure like how well you would do in life and, and work and stuff. Like, and I look at all those moments and saying, well, at that time I would shout to myself and say, do the best work of your life. Don't worry about what others have to say. Like you do the best work of your life and you have to decide, you have to choose that, what that is. And since then I kept saying that to myself, to my team um, and anybody's like, it's not comparing to anybody, man. To you, what is, whatever, is, whatever is your calling, do the best work of your life. Just wake up thinking that. Wow. Dude, well done. Bomb. That's awesome. Bomb. Okay. My friend, uh, I hope I can call you that now. It yes, definitely feels sir, like you're please. a friend. Yes. Uh, we have been so looking forward to this conversation. And uh, the fact you made the time for it and then came on here and dropped such wisdom on us uh, has been invaluable. And I know, I don't hope, I know it will be valuable to everyone that's listening. Uh, so with that in mind, I just want to say thank you one more time, Sangram, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jordan. Really, really loved the conversation. I didn't even realize how much time it was. We were just chatting, so thank you. And if anybody wants to hit me up on LinkedIn or have conversations, uh, please do. Please do. Yes. So tell, yes. Them, tell them where they can find you, on LinkedIn, uh, anywhere else, social media. That LinkedIn. Like, I'm uh, one thing. I'm, I don't think I'm on any other social media as much, weirdly. Um, like, LinkedIn is the place where, uh, where I spend most of my And your podcast, the Flip My Funnel podcast. Yep. They can check out Flip Funnel Podcast. I also recently started a invite-only marketers community uh, where every day I'm posting something there to think about how marketing does. So if anybody's interested, again, DM me. It's just invite-only. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. All right, buddy. Thank you for being on the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, folks. God bless you. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to 0to5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-5000.com.